0: Hey, hey, friends, and welcome to The Happy Hour. I am your host, Jamie, and I'm just excited that you decided to spend an hour with us today. How fun is this? We have a great show for you in store today. I don't know if you remember this, but last spring in 2020, we released a Bible study here called Your Story Matters, and I'm super excited about this Bible study. I'm proud of it. It is a six-week course on how your story can change the world, and the reason I bring this back up today as we released it a year ago is because the conversation I had with Arden Bevere today goes so hand in hand with the Bible study that we created. So many times as women, we believe that our story doesn't matter and we believe lies that keep us enslaved to fear and feeling trapped and isolated. But friends, that's not the gospel. That's why this teaching series, Your Story Matters, is so important to combating those lies. We go through lies like my story doesn't matter. The story is not mine to share or people will think less of me plus a couple more. You guys, we got to get rid of those lies and start viewing our stories and our lives through the lens of the gospel. And so that's what this Bible study is. You can find out more information at jamieivy.com slash your story matters because I really believe. Every story does matter. Okay, friends, my guest today is Arden Bevere, and you may recognize his last name because he is the youngest son of Lisa Bevere, who is a great friend of The Happy Hour and has been on here many times before. I promised him that I wasn't going to introduce him as Lisa Bevere's son, and then literally 30 seconds in, I said, well, you're Lisa Bevere's son, but it's okay because he's proud to be Lisa Bevere's son. Arden has a book that released this year in 2021 called Redefined, Confronting the Lies That Limit Us. Arden is the co-founder of Sons and Daughters, which is a ministry that he talks about at the beginning, which I was so intrigued with. And I hope that you guys check out more information about it. In this book, he confronts 10 negative labels that have been given to millennials and redefines them with truthful words that shine a light on their God-given identity. Now, I want to make sure you know something real quick. This is not a podcast just for millennials because every single lie that he said, yes, those might be lies that millennials are dealing with, but I am not a millennial and I can relate to every single one. We talk about the book, about the process, and then we just really dive into two specific lies. Don't worry. If your mom out there, I did ask him, hey, what are some great things that your parents did? Because they got four kids who are loving Jesus with their life. So give us the scoop. You guys are going to love this conversation. Here is Arden Bevere. Arden, welcome to the happy hour.
1: Hey, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk today.
0: I am excited to have you as well. And we were talking before, you're a Colorado Springs guy, and my husband and I were just in Colorado Springs. It is so very, very beautiful, but I'm so glad to have you. Uh, we have mutual friends, and mutual friends, as in your mom, <laughs> Lisa Bevere. I that. As mutual as it gets. <laughs> <it's> as mutual <laughs> as it gets. Lisa was just on the show recently, so it's exciting, and she's been here before. And so, how fun is it? Oh my gosh, Arden, I just had a thought. People that have been listening for a long time are going to remember this. The first time Lisa was on, one of her sons was not married. Is that you?
1: That's my older brother, Alec. Okay. It could have been a while ago when I wasn't married. I've been married for two years now, and but he's still single.
0: The first time she was on, I bet you weren't married either. And Let me tell you, the girls that came out at me of like, can you please give Lisa my phone number? Was hilarious. So I just I remembered it. that while we were chatting.
1: <laughs> well, it used to be every single like church conference, anything we went to, they would always auction us off. And that's like, they're <laughs> like, look, this is our way to break the barrier between. I'm like, can you use any other way? I was like, oh you're, you're my doing gosh. it at the expense of us. They're like, no, trust me. It's so that the message gets across better. And I was like, all right, <laughs> we'll stand in that it's gap. It's for the for you gospel, guys.
0: Arden. Come on. It's for the <laughs> kingdom. Kingdom work here. <laughs> Higher
1: purpose
0: here. <laughs> oh my God. Well, besides me introducing you as Lisa Bevere's son, introduce yourself to my people and tell us all what you do.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, of course, youngest son of John and Lisa Bevere. And then I actually run along with my brothers and their wives and my wife. We run a ministry called Sons and Daughters. And it's basically our expression of messenger international to the next generation. And so what we really do and what we focus in on is we think, you know, hey, honestly, the problem in the world, this might be a little countercultural, but problem of the world is not a lack of sons and daughters, it's a lack of sons and daughters who have stepped into the fullness of what that actually means. And I think a lot of people think, you know, hey, my role as a son or a daughter of Christ is I go to church and every now and then I got to bring someone to church and then hopefully my pastor preaches the perfect message and then they get saved. And actually Ephesians 4.12 says the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and apostles, the fivefold ministry is there to equip us, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And so we don't take that, you know, the what our teachers are teaching us and practically apply it and take that work of the ministry into our daily life. Because then I think if you saw that, you would see true transformation yeah. across this world. So that's our big focus. We have 400 ambassadors all around the world that are leading groups, walking that identity out and taking the curriculum and resources that we give them and using it in their sphere of influences.
0: I don't think I knew the the breadth of what you guys were doing over there with that, with those 400 ambassadors. So just real quick, I'm thinking if someone's listening, like, oh, my gosh, this is so appealing to me. This is what I want to do. How do they get in touch with you guys about even that? And what does it look like when you say we have 400 ambassadors? What are they doing? Telling people about Jesus
1: or what? So if they want to get connected, they can go to sonsanddaughters.tv and we have an application process because we don't want just anyone to come in to become an ambassador. We actually, I get on the phone and I have a conversation and I kind of go through, hey, you know, tell me about your Christian walk. Tell me about, you know, how you got saved. Tell me about your involvement in church and go through all those things. And then what we're having our groups do or all of our ambassadors do is they're leading groups. So what we tell people is we say, hey, the biggest thing that we can do is relationship with people because we think, you know, hey, you can be extremely impacted by a video. And that's awesome. We can produce a lot of videos, but life change happens through relationships. You know, it happens through having those hard conversations and knowing where someone's at. And so we tell our ambassadors, Hey, grab two or three people. And just pour into them, and use the resources that we provide to help further you on those walks. Like, you know, if you have something that's dealing with finances, come up, or you can walk through our Money Made Simple course. If you have something with dealing with an addiction, you can walk our course that deals with addiction and things like that. And so you have the resources to be able to help you address those topics, but then you have the ability to do the relationship that's going to make an impact on that person. So that's kind of what our ambassadors do. We pour into our ambassadors almost every single week where we have. Zoom calls with them and we just share, you know, hey, this is what God's placed on each one of our hearts. And this is what we think is going to happen as we're coming to this. And also, you know, hey, as the world is doing all these things, you know, what do we see? It's being spoken in the word of God and helping our ambassadors navigate those hard conversations.
0: That is amazing. You're basically building up disciples is what you're doing. I mean, you're equipping people with what they need to make disciples, which is what we're called to do from Jesus is to go and make disciples. And you're like, hey, we're going to give you the resources. We're going to walk alongside you. That is so, so so wonderful thank you for telling me about that more because I didn't even know what exactly you guys were doing and so it's amazing so you released a book this year called redefined confronting the labels that limit us and I want to talk about this and you talk about this in the in the aspect of millennials I want to get to that in a second but I also I want to tell you this Arden we have I think a two different sets of people who are listeners to the happy hour we have women like me I'm 42. I'm raising children. I'm doing my thing, you know, living life. And we also have a lot of listeners, which my heart is so dear towards people in your age age bracket and younger who are starting their life and going out and experiencing new things for the first time. So before we get to you. I want to address me real quick, if that's okay with you. And I don't mean me, but you know, my people. Of course. I would like to know from you, we have a lot of people raising kids. And so your parents have been in ministry for years and you have three older brothers. I myself have four kids. What was it like for you growing up in a family that was doing ministry? I've got a lot of pastor's wives that listen to the show. And so what was that like for you growing up that way? And then I'd love to hear just like, can you encourage us parents In raising our children as well.
1: Yeah, that's the amazing thing. And I want to make sure, like, when I position the book in really speaking to millennials— I'm 26. And so that's the generation I wanted to speak to. But I've watched as so many people have taken these truths and extended it and said, like, they've been able to break labels off their life that they've held for 30, 40 years. And I watch, especially for parents, as what they've been able to do of taking the the principles that my parents, you know, honestly instilled to us boys since we were kids, that I was able to show through this book and really start speaking it over to their kids. Because I remember there was a couple things my parents did that was crucial, especially being in ministry, that was so important to, keeping us not running away from God, but running to God. And the Mm -hmm. first thing was, is that they were always the exact same people that you saw up there on the platform, that they were at home. Like I remember every single morning I would come down and my dad would be off in his study and he would be reading his word. And then he would bust in at breakfast table and be like, look what I just read in the word of God. Like, and it's, you know, a passage he's read about 40 times, but like God showed him a new way. And he would share the revelation that God was giving him, which kept the word of God so alive and like so rich to us that we understood, Hey, look, this isn't just something they're doing. This isn't just something that they're doing to make a living. This is their dedication. And they were very clear and honest with us about the stewardship that we had and the responsibility that we had. And they always looked at their ministry as, hey, this ministry is not our ministry. Mm. It's God's ministry. Yeah. And God's given us this ministry to be able to steward it. And so that kind of helped us with that like entitlement factor that I think I oftentimes see with a lot of pastor kids where they mm. think like, yeah, this is my church, like yeah. my, my parents built this church. And right. it's like, <laughs> no, you're actually serving God's church. Yeah. And that's the amazing, incredible thing. And so I, I watched my parents do that, which I think they did so beautifully well but then also my parents made sure they did was that they apologized like Mm -hmm. when they made mistakes i think oftentimes what i see a lot of times is as a parent you've got to be like i've got to be the one that's right always right i can't show weakness in this area but like my parents would always they would have these i mean i've got two italian parents big a personalities (laughs) they would have these massive fights and they would have these fights in front of us boys and then they would make sure that they would come to us and be like hey you know that thing I said to your dad, that was really (laughs) stupid and I am so sorry. I don't think like, and they would actually, Bring that restoration and that conversation back. And I thought that was always important because it saw that, hey, you yeah. can have moments of weaknesses. Even if you're in, you know, have the pressure of ministry yeah. and have a lot of people's eyes on you and expectation. So you can have those moments. But there's that restoration process that needs to happen and that restoring that happens that yeah. is so crucial. And then the last thing that my parents did that I think is always important and is kind of a little weird thing to do, but I actually watch my parents do with us boys is they would always call us princes. And it was so weird because We're like, Mom, is there like, did you take the DNA test and like discover (laughs) that you're from some royal Uh lineage or something like that? And she'd be like, No, you're a prince of the most high God. And it would be when we acted out, like when we had talked back or lied or said something wrong. And she'd be like, You're a prince. And princes don't act like that. And I'm like, Mom, what does that mean? And I love what they would do is they would never speak to the behavior that they were seeing in the moment. They were framing out the identity and the calling that God had placed on us. And not because we were someone special, not because we were believers, but just because we were sons and daughters of God. And I remember when I walked away because I was the only brother that actually walked away from Christ for a season. And it was just because I honestly just didn't care in that season. I was like, there is, there is more fun things to do right now than to serve God. And that was my warped mindset. And I walked away, but I remember the identity that my parents had framed out for us in those moments of those hardships. When I found myself in those moments of, you know, hardship and and talking back or, or drinking and girls, I remember my parents echoing words of, hey, you're a prince and mm-hmm. the identity and the inheritance that's upon your life is so much greater than what you're doing right now. And so I think that's something important because I think it, it's really easy to be like, you're a spoiled brat kind of kid, like and speaking to the behavior, and my parents mm-hmm. would always correct the behavior in the moment, yeah. but then they would frame out the identity that we had as sons of God. And I remember that was so crucial for me because mm-hmm. even though it didn't seem like it was working, and that's something I would encourage parents is like, even though it didn't seem like a Was working, we didn't understand it as kids. As we grew up and as we understood what the word of God said about being a son of God, we were able to walk in that identity and that inheritance that my parents had framed out since we were young kids. So that would be my encouragement. I mean, I could go a long time
0: about this. That was so good. I know. I mean, I'm sitting I mean, over here like, I, I gotta take notes on this. I gotta take notes. You <laughs> know, it's so good. And even you talking about the way that your parents framed talking about your identity. I mean, that's also what your book is about. And, and I too went through a season like you described. I have no idea how similar it was, but of just like saying, I'm done with faith, what all the things. But when I came back and started following Jesus at 21 and really just kind of threw my life into him, I had a long season of not believing who I was in Christ. And so I love this book so much because I've, in the years, in the 20 years, 22 years I've been following Jesus, I have met a lot of people who also have a hard time believing the things that God says about them to be true. And I think that is like our human nature. And also it's like this idea of like, I know myself. And so you really think those things, God, because As a human, if I have someone who's consistently (laughs) disobeying me, consistently choosing their own way, consistently like almost like giving me the middle finger, you know what? I'm going to check out on them. Like I'm done with them (laughs) as a human. And so we put that on God and we think, how could God actually say those things? So I love your book. I've loved diving in and reading it. And so I want to talk about that with you because that's what this is. It's like believing the truth and not the lies. So tell me about Redefined. Tell me in your words about Redefined.
1: Well, I mean, so like I said, it was a heart cry for my generation. I actually, I never wanted to write a book. Never thought I could. I know I'm John and Lisa Bevere's son and that was like the expectation. But I was actually in special needs reading and writing programs all the way through my freshman year. And I didn't test out of them. The classes just ended. So this was not (laughs) something that I was like, yeah, I can do this. But what it came from was I started seeing, you know, honestly, other generations look at the millennial generations to be like, hey, that generation is hopeless. And I started to like I kind of gotten to that point where I'm like, yeah, you know there's some things that are justified in there. And I kind of ignored those things. But then I remember I posted on my social media five years ago, and I asked people, I said, if you could describe the young adult generation in one word, what would it be? And I remember I got so many responses that were just all negative. It was like 95% of the responses were things like broken, entitled, disillusioned, addicted, fearful, discouraged, and all this stuff. And what broke my heart in that moment is because as I said, I was used to other generations calling us that, but I was watching it was my generation. Wow. All these people were people that were, you know, my friends, colleagues, people that were the same age, and I watched as they began to believe the identity that was being spoken over them and labeled them by the world. And I look back at 2020, and 2020, there was a lot of labels placed on this generation. And I think we watched and kind of saw what happens when people react to the labels that have been placed on them by the world rather than acting based off of the call that God has upon Mm, their life. And that's the thing that I found in this moment is that in this moment, God told me, he said, Write down every single negative label and then write down the scriptures that are contrary to those negative labels. I mean, you know, I remember Peter 2.9, I think it is, where it talks about you are not those people. The specific translation says, You are not those people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so he said, write down the scripture that's contrary to that negative word and make that your prayer for this generation. And so that's where this book came. It was actually just my journal entries and yeah. me praying over my generation. But what I realized is God, through scripture, God never labels his people. He only calls them. And a label is something that's been put on by the world. It speaks to who you have been in the past or who you are right now. It speaks to everything that lives in the natural, where a call from God speaks to the eternity that he's placed on your heart. Mm-hmm. It speaks to the potential he's placed inside of you that can draw you out of that trauma, the hardships, the pain, the negative you know, self-image that you have created of yourself into a higher purpose. And so what I'm seeing from my generation is I do not want to see my generation lived limited to the things that are going on to the natural, but we live fully awakened and alive in the identity and the call that God has for us. And that comes from knowing what the word of God says about us and declaring what the word of God says, just about how my parents you know, did with us boys when we were kids of calling us princes. They were declaring what the word of God said over us, not what they were seeing in that moment.
0: That is so good and it makes me think you said the way that we fight these the way that we fight these lies is knowing what God's word says about us. So would you say that's like maybe the number one stumbling block here is people just not actually knowing what God says about them? Yeah,
1: I think that's huge. Is I think, you know, really my goal with this book was not to like I say in the beginning or the old proverb where it's like, you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and feeding for a lifetime is i wanted to teach people in my generation how to actively apply the word of god to their life and not just learn from me but to go to the word of god and declare those things over them because what i'm seeing right now is i think we are a generation right now that has so much information like we have everything at our fingertips like you know the day and age where you can just be the com- most confident person in the room and be the right person in the room exactly. is over. it's like <laughs> google has ruined that and so we have a lot of information. And I think what we have done is we have based our identity off of what the most latest podcast Mm -hmm. or our favorite pastor on Instagram says about us or the blog that we read recently, rather than What the Word of God says about us. And what we're doing is we're trading information for transformation. And transformation only comes from the revealed knowledge of the Word of God. That's the foundation that we have to build our life on. And what I'm seeing more and more as I'm having conversations with people is they are basing their whole relationship with God off of someone else's relationship with God. And that's a scary place to be at because you are getting their interpretation, their relationship with God directed to you rather than knowing what the word of God says. And I love what Jesus, like when Jesus's identity is under attack in the wilderness, when he's you know out there in the wilderness for 40 days, the enemy comes to him and he tempts him. But before he tempts him, he says, if you are truly, the son of God. And the enemy knew exactly who mm. he was. I mean, he was with them in the heavens he wasn't before surprised. the not surprised. <laughs> yeah. yeah, He knew exactly who he was. And I think that's what's going on is we have a lot of people that are getting their identities called into question. And I love what Jesus's response is. It's not some profound thing. He does not like, you know, say, Hey, my mom told me this, or this is what I know and declare it. No, he simply quotes back scripture. Mm to the enemy and he's able to use the word of god just as the bible says is that yeah. two edged sword he's able to use the word of god to combat the lies of the enemy that are trying to attack who god created him to be which i think is just important and something that our generation, we have to be able to know how to wield a sword. You can't expect to pick up a sword and just go into battle and expect to know exactly how to use it. And I think right now we have a generation of people that want to be warriors. Like we want to be warriors for God, but we don't want to be in a war and yeah. you can't be a warrior for God without a war. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing is you are never supposed to lose. Like you never have to lose that word, but we have to learn how to use the word of God and let that be the, the weapon in this war that we're going into.
0: You talked about people using other people's faith and, you know, going off the latest podcast or sermon or pastor on Instagram. And again, both of you and I are saying those are great things. They're great resources. You create resources. I create resources. We love resources, you know, but here's what I've learned about that in my own personal life and watching other people is building your faith on that cannot sustain you. And so, okay, that can work for a minute that I'm listening to my favorite podcast and I'm like feeling good about my day. Oh my gosh, I got like a pep in my step. I listened to a sermon. But when life gets hard and life will always get hard without that foundation that, you know, Jesus talks about building your house on that foundation, that person in the podcast is not coming up to my house to show up to, you know, to comfort me the way that a relationship with Jesus went. So I think that's important to remember as well. Okay. You go through, and of all those Instagram posts you got, here are the ones that you came up with that you wrote about. I'm gonna read them to the listeners so they can hear it. These are the words lost, broken, doubtful, regretful, offended, lacking, addicted, discouraged, entitled, fearful. So these are words that you're combating here in this book and saying, hey, we don't need to believe these lies. We need to believe what God's word says about them. So I picked two. Can we go to two? Yeah. Let's all right. Do it. Here we go. The first one I picked was regret. Congrats.
1: Okay, like, uh, let's see this. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Come um, on. We'll say, this is the amazing thing. So all these words, the reason why I picked these words is because all of these words were things that I actually went through. And I wanted to make sure because I'm 26, I don't have everything figured out. I am learning, I'm growing, but I wanted to make sure I can use my experiences and see and kind of position as a brother and just being like, hey, I want to see more for you. And so when writing about regret, that was something that was hard because I think regret is from a worldly view. Regret is the end of a lot of people's story. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, you're going to die with your regrets. And that's the plain and simple thing. So it's would have, you know, I wish I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have done that kind of moment. But regret is actually such a powerful tool that goes God positions in our life that if you use regret in the way that God has destined it to be used in your life, it can actually be something that will launch you into your destiny. And what I talk about is I talk about the, you know, how it talks about in second Corinthians, where it talks about the godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, but worldly sorrow leads to death. And there is a worldly sorrow, worldly regret that we have this mindset and understanding out that we keep thinking, you know, Hey, you're going to be stuck with this, where God says, if you become awakened to the opportunity that regret presents for itself Mm. in your life, there is a life that is waiting for you, that is going to flip your regret onto its back, and it's going to launch you into your destiny. So I talk about how regret can be something that, yes, it it can tie us to the past or things like that, but it also will be something that launches us into our destiny. And I remember the regrets that I had to navigate. You know, when I first worked for my parents' ministry, I broke a lot of trust. I kind of came in and I had a little bit of that entitled spirit of like, hey, I've got this call of God on my life. And, and you guys need to help push this call of God through it and all these things. And I remember...
0: Arden, when I read about this in your book, I yeah. cracked up laughing because you said you <laughs> fell asleep at your desk and you would oh, like totally. leave and just go take the oh day God. off to go hang out with friends. <laughs> so I like- yes,
1: I was so bad. And I was, you know, I was 18 at the time. So yeah. I just, I don't think I was really understanding the gratitude of my decisions. And at the same time, I'm like, you know, they're not going to probably fire
0: me (laughs) you're like i have job security here (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and i mean i remember at one time i had written such a bad email to another employee that my oversight came and he had the email printed out And he's reading it to me and he's like trying to not laugh the entire time that he's reading it. Cause he was like, I just can't believe someone would write this email. And so I had to deal with those because I remember after that season, I realized, Hey, look, there's a problem with me and I need to go and work on myself. And I remember after I I went and did Bible college for a year. And after that year, I came back and I had a conversation with my mom. She said, no, 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 don't come back. Like nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And I said, uh, she's like, there's no new opportunities for you or anything like that. And I said, Mom, I know nothing has changed, but I said, I have changed. And that was really the only thing that needed to change. And I remember I came back, and in the beginning stages of me coming back, I held on to my regret mm-hmm. and I allowed it to dictate the way that I interacted with people. And I felt ashamed and all these things. But then I realized, like, actually leaning into God in that season as I came back and realized what God wanted to use of my mistakes, my past shames that I did, how God wanted to position those to honestly see this season that I was going into in a fresh and new light. And so I was able to come back and work for my parents and I remember I had to earn back a lot yeah. of trust. Like, that's the thing with regret. You're, there's going to be some work that has to be done. But when we get awakened to this amazing revelation, like David did, like David was able to navigate his regret in such a beautiful way where he sleeps with Bathsheba. He you know gets her pregnant and then he gets confronted by the prophet Nathan. And he's like, he's so, you know, righteous justice. He's like, where is this man? And Nathan's like, that's you. And he completely flips and he's like, he goes and he falls on his face and he you know, fasts and prays all this time. And then the child dies and he immediately gets up and he goes straight into the temple of God and he worships god and i think that's an amazing thing because oftentimes when the child would die we would just go and kind of go into the presence of man and just kind of grieve in that and even his people around him said what are you doing are you crazy and he realized he went into the presence of god and he was awakened to the opportunity that the regret and that the mistake had in his life and that was able to become a testimony for him so i just want to see this generation not defined by regret but defined by the opportunity that regret presents itself, that we won't live tied to the past, but we will become awakened to the opportunity that it has for us. And that comes through godly sorrow.
0: It's so good, Arden. And that is just, you know, you mentioned that this book is, you know, you wrote it towards your people and your age group, millennial, but there's not one word in here that you define. Let me just break it to everyone that's listening. That does not a word that Any generation can latch on to. And so I think that's what's so beautiful about this book is you are coming at it as like, hey, I'm a peer. And let me tell you how our generation is working here. But this is like this is 65 year old people going like, man, I have all these regrets I'm living with. You say this in the chapter about regret. You say embracing regret can feel as if we're admitting failure or abandoning faith. But in reality, it means that our hearts are sensitive towards whom we are becoming. Godly distress over our mistakes will drive us straight into our father's arms when we repent. And when God washes us with his radical grace and forgiveness, we can lift our heads high, turn in a new direction and live victoriously. It can become a beautiful part of his redemption story in our lives. And I love that. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel is that that's what we get to do when we take that regret and that sin or whatever it might be and turn it towards Jesus. And so love that. Okay, let's go to the next one. Are you ready? I picked a good next one for you, Arden. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm excited. (laughs) I bet it's it's interesting to see which ones people want to talk about. Here we go. We're going straight to the good stuff. Ready? Addicted.
1: Addicted,
0: You know, I really appreciated, you know, I see addiction and I immediately think drugs, alcohol, porn. Yeah. But you said earlier, we are this information driven world. I have my phone right here. I guarantee you, you have your phone close to you unless you're really yep. good. Oh, there it's it right is. Here. Yeah, right yeah. here. <laughs> and but there's also we can be addicted to so much more than those top three drugs, alcohol, porn that I said, like, you can be addicted to technology, to things in your time, to whatever it might be. And so You talk about this in such a really, really great way. And you said this, I'll set you up here with what you said here. You said, I quickly learned that addiction doesn't only affect people who have hit rock bottom. That's another thing we think like, oh, you hit rock bottom. What are you addicted to? Yeah. And it isn't something you can casually flirt with. Being caught in addiction is like being in quicksand. It slowly traps you and pulls you in. And when you try to break free, you only struggle helplessly while it continues to drag you under. So let's talk about why this word was important for you to talk about and what that looks like for people today and how do we get on the other side of this word defining us?
1: This one was very near and dear to my heart because I struggled with addiction to pornography. I stumbled across pornography when I was 11 years old. And I hate to say this, but now that is the average age for a child to stumble upon pornography and to get addicted to pornography. And I remember it was not something I was searching after. It was just kind of pop, came up as a pop-up and I was immediately repulsed by it, clicked off of it. And then that curiosity kind of came back around. And I watched as kind of my life as I really struggled with you know this addiction that was grabbing Hold of myself and the shame that it felt in all those moments. And I watched this, it was a nine year battle for me. Mm-hmm. And there was that whole balance of kind of the, you know, the self-destructive behavior and then the self-preservation behaviors. Like in those moments, you know, what Paul talks about in Romans where he says, I want to do what it's right, but I can't. And he said, I want to do what is good, but I don't. And then he said, but I do what is wrong anyways. And I think there was that balance that I kept feeling in my life. And I watch what I've seen where addiction has kind of become a very casual word in our generation. You know, we can kind of be like, I am addicted to my phone, or like you said, yeah. addicted to Netflix and yeah. all these things, or binge watching and coffee. And, and I think we have minimized how big of actually an issue it has become because I've had so many conversations with young men, and I speak specifically to porn addiction because that's the addiction that I struggled and I went through. But I think there's these principles that we can apply to every single you know, addiction that we navigate. And I've seen so many young men that are, are navigating a porn addiction and the brokenness and the mm. shame that they feel. And I think you know the crazy thing about addiction is it, it doesn't play fair. Like It will keep you in that down spot and it will continue just to keep hitting on you time and time again. And what I'm seeing from this generation is I think what we're doing is when we look at addiction, because it's something that's not talked about a ton, we are kind of just scared of it. And we're like, mm. hey, I need to run from this thing? Because, you know, the Bible is very clear when you find yourself in a tempting situation that you must flee temptation. I agree with that 100%. But what I found myself doing is every single time I fell into addiction, I was always like proud of myself. I was like, if I make it a week, Mm, I'm like, I'm doing a week. I'm doing a week. I'm good. And I was just always trying to stay away from it rather than running to something. And I think that's the thing that I want to see this generation become is I want to see this generation become a fighting generation that we do not get all of our time stolen from our phone, from binge watching things that we are not fighting for the future that God has placed inside of us. I remember that one of the biggest things that really helped me overcome my addiction was I remember since I was a kid. I've always dreamed about my wife and like the marriage that we would have. And I I was like, I'm going to protect and I'm going to fight for that marriage. But then I realized something that as I was doing these things, as I was, every time I was looking at porn or or falling into that trap, I was already damaging my future marriage. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was already hurting the beautiful promise that God had placed for me. And so that was something that had really, you know, made me get set free because I realized I'm not going to run from something. I'm going actually to fight for something. I'm going to fight for my future life. I'm going to fight for my future that God has promised me. I'm going to fight for these things. And so this is something I just want to really address with this generation and kind of begin the conversation because I think, you know, it's really, really just, it's something that's uncomfortable to talk about. And I love what the word of God brings, the restoration of bringing someone into those, you know, those addiction moments where it talks about, you know, hey, bringing, you know, James five talks about it. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and to a righteous person. And that the prayer of a righteous person has the power to overcome, you know, the things that you are going through. And so I want to see this generation reshape this, that we're not being enslaved to the time that's being robbed from us, but we become a fighting generation. And this is a hard topic and it was a hard topic for me. So I would encourage people to dive deep into that topic as you read this, because there's a lot of things that the process of renewing your mind, you know, Mm -hmm. as you have to continue to renew your mind, because honestly, so much of that stuff is survival mode. It's like that temporary fix that your brain right. needs it needs a temporary fix, and you have to completely renew your mind into new patterns. So I want to see this generation become that fighting generation, that we become those warriors, that we become those fighters, that we are striving to attack the lies of the enemy and not run from something, but run to something.
0: I think it's so interesting that you talk about it this way because, you know, addiction is like really like it's psychological, like our body is telling us you need this, like you need this. Whether that is all joking aside, it could be Netflix, like you really feel like I have to watch TV every day.
1: It's a decompression.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, all those things, or it could be as like pornography, like you said, and just, I always say this, you'll say it as well, but you haven't. So I know that you know this, this is not just a man's thing either. Like many women are struggled with addiction to pornography, but you know, you talk about fighting it. And I think right now there is a lot of presenting ourselves in a way that is different and better and you know we have social media so we want to present this good thing and I think so many people are scared to fight it because I think they have to admit that they have a problem if that makes sense and so Mm -hmm. do you remember the first time you said this out loud to someone because I think that is one of the scariest things I mean is to look someone in the eyes and say I think I have a problem fill in the blank with what it might be but you write about this that we can't do this alone. And I'm a big, big believer that we cannot fight the things yeah. alone. And so, do you remember the first time?
1: No, I was, I was at a Bible study and I remember I was upstairs in this room and the leader had come up there and I was reading the word and I was just feeling so, just, so just, I was feeling like I need to get this off my chest. I need to share this with someone because I think with addiction, it is like a quicksand. You're instantly in yeah. it and you are falling and you're sliding deeper and deeper. And the thing that you need to get out of quicksand is someone else to pull you out of it. And I think when you open up that, you know, bringing that thing to the light, it no longer has the power that it did. Because I think, you know, with addiction, And for me in those moments, it was such a a shame thing. And it was something that I would just, I wanted to hide. I wanted to keep in the dark. And I spent the majority of my addiction fighting alone because I didn't want to deal with all that shame. I didn't want to go through the sharing moments and all that stuff. And I remember those dark times and how angry I would get and how frustrated I was because I would want to do good, but I kept failing. And so I remember that time when I brought it into light, I honestly can say, looking at that moment, that was the moment where everything really shifted. And it began to, you know, I wasn't like instantly set free in that moment, but I began to begin to get out of the Mm. trap. I began to slowly get out of that trap of the cycle of addiction, of the failure, the guilt, and all those things. I watched as my story began to, you know, redeem itself. And I think that's important is I want to make sure that people don't just bring in anyone, you want, the Bible says specifically, to bring in a righteous person. So it's easy just to tell your best friend, but your best friend might not be the best And then y'all become struggle buddies.
0: Like y'all can exactly. just struggle with the same, like, oh, I'm drinking too much. Me too, you know, and Me you don't too. want that.
1: Well, yeah, no. I mean, think about it. If two people are on quicksand and you're trying to get <laughs> yeah. one another out. You are actually just pushing each other further right. and further down. And I think that's the key thing is we have to share it with a righteous person person. Because as the Bible says, a righteous person, his prayers will work in your life. And they're also, they're not going to speak to the condemnation. They're going to call you to a higher purpose. They're going to call you out of that darkness, out of that shame. And I remember with one of my friends, we continue just to, he challenged me every single time I would tell him, he was like, Hey, you're not that person. Like that's not you. Mm, And he said, don't beat yourself up. That is not who you are. That's not who God created you to be. And so I think that is key in anything any addiction that you're going through, any addiction that you're navigating is to bring a righteous person into it.
0: It's so good. It's so good. And you mentioned Paul in in Romans seven saying like, I want to do good, but I do bad. And I'm just like, me too, Paul. And then, you know, (laughs) right after that in Romans eight is that verse that we love that therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what your friend was telling you is, Hey, you're not that person on the other side of the computer screen or on the other side of your phone you are a new creation. You know, you are created and God looks at you and and he sees the blood of Jesus. And, you know, you mentioned that verse in James, and I always say like, man, I want friends who love God more than they love me, which means they're not going to let whatever I told them slide. They're not gonna be like, "Eh, okay, 2020, you know, like it's been a hard year, (laughs) Yeah. but they're going to show me grace and compassion, but they're always going to point me to the truth. And I think I'm so glad that you said that because that's so important.
1: I think the key thing too is understanding the, what God's grace has given you. Because I think sometimes what we do is we're like, we find ourselves in those moments and we're like, oh, well, God's grace is amazing. And it just covered me that much, which right. is 100 percent true. But there's an amazing aspect of God's grace that Paul even frames out where God says to him, he says, My grace is all you need. Or Jesus said, For my power works best in your weakness. Mm-hmm. So when you find yourself in those hard times, understand that God's grace is not only his covering, but it is in his empowerment to get you set free from those things, to get you going into this place. Because I think you find yourself in those places where you're like, man, I can't do this. And like, that's because that is your own Mm, human ability. But when we tap into God's grace and his ability, we watch as that's manifested and displayed in our life that you'll be able to come up against any things and not be like, well, I've got this covered, but you understand my confidence is in God's grace and that will get me through anything
0: so good one of my favorite things are about the book is that at the end of each chapter you know you go through those lies and you talk through them for example at the end of the addiction chapter is you have this kind of statement, calling, like reframing it. And like, I'll read the one at the end of the addiction. It says, we are a fighting generation, not an addicted generation. Nothing controls us. No one owns us. We serve God alone. And in him, we find freedom. And I think, you know, if people pick up this book, I would imagine that you're going to see some sticky notes all over some people's mirrors with those fighting statements, you would hope so. Just uh-huh. as that reminder of this is what is true about us. Arden, Great job on this book. I am so excited about it, and I'm so excited for people to get this in their hands. Okay, so I would love to know from you, what are you reading these days? You and your wife watch TV. What are y'all watching? What are you loving? What is exciting in your world these days?
1: I've always loved, since my mom used to read to us all like the Narnia stories, I've always loved A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, all these guys and G.K. Chesterton. And so right now I'm actually going through, and this is like the third time I've gone through this book, but it's called The Search of God. So it's a book by C.S. Lewis. Many people actually probably know this quote, but it's a beautiful quote where he actually talks about, he says, I believe in Christianity, like I believe in the sun, not because it's just the sun when I see it, but because of the sun, I can see everything. And he talks about this beautiful, just search of God that he went through in his life and the questions that he battled. So I'm reading that one. And I'm also reading God in the Docks, which is my all-time favorite C.S. Lewis book, because I think he goes in and he stands in the docks for God. And he basically answers these questions from these college students, these professors. And when they're like trying to break down the gospel, and he beautifully explains the gospel from his perspective of being an atheist to becoming a Christian. And so I always love C.S. Lewis. And that's, you know, ironically who I'm going through right now.
0: I love that. Do you guys like watching TV? Are y'all watching anything?
1: We haven't found a great TV show. We actually watched this TV show and we were so disappointed because we got really pulled into it. And it was called Beachum House. It's like a PBS show okay. called Be- Beecham House. Uh-huh. It was about this, you know, man that was living in India, and we got so hooked on it. And then the first season leaves you on this massive cliffhanger, and then we go to our phones and look up, like, "When's season two coming out?" And it's like, "Oh, they canceled production on oh it." Oh so god! We, we are currently in the middle of in-between shows right now because we felt so betrayed, you know, by Beecham House. Why would <laughs> they to you the guys? Why would they you guys? <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Arden, thank you for coming on the happy hour. I appreciate the ministry that everyone in your family is running and just the kingdom is better because of the work that you guys are doing. And so we're cheering you on over here. We're excited about this project and excited about the ministry that you have. And you guys, if you want any information on anything we talked about today, it's going to be in the show notes. We'll make sure they can find you there. Arden, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Okay, friends, I... I promise you that you would love it. And I know that you did. This is a conversation that anyone can get something out of. His book, Redefined, Confronting the Labels That Limit Us, is available now wherever you buy books. And you guys, if you want to go deeper, the Bible study I mentioned at the beginning, Your Story Matters, that we released last spring, is available on my webpage. It's completely digital, which we didn't plan on it being completely digital. And then 2020 hit, and we said, completely digital it is. So go to jamieivy.com slash yourstorymatters. And it's a six-week study it's a video series teaching online that you can download to your computer. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with a group. And then there is a workbook that you can download and print off as well. JamieIvey.com slash your story matters because I believe that every story does matter. And I also believe that your story can change the world right where you are. Guys, today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper. Show notes were written by Abby Castell. The music is created by Matt Graham and the whole thing is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie Ivy, And I'm so glad that you chose to spend some time with us today. Come back on Friday because my friend Ross Lester joins me. He's a pastor at my church, and we talk about Christian nationalism. Hard conversation, great conversation. You are going to want to hear this conversation on Friday. Guys, have a happy hour with a friend. Send a friend a text and just tell them that you're proud of them. Tell them something that would combat any lie that you think they might be believing. I'll see you guys back here on Friday.